0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbicast, the only baseball podcast in the world. Who knows that Victor Wembanyama is overrated. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman, And I wouldn't touch that guy with a 7-foot, 4-inch pole.
1: Uh, that's the length of pole you would need um, to reach, I think, the top of his head. As we will, of course, talk about the Wemby first pitch at Yankee Stadium. I, I, I mean, look, we, it was like a month ago that we were talking about this and wondering when we would see him at a baseball stadium. We have been gifted with such footage And such action. And we will talk about that. We're going to talk about Joey Votto, who is back in a Reds uniform. I was there for his return and uh, all that that entails. Uh, We are going to talk about who the best pitcher in the world is. That's something that you just wrote about at Fox Sports. I'm excited to have that conversation. And then later on, we'll hit a few things. Gavin Williams, Shohei Otani's not getting traded. Oh, my God. Francisco Lindor, dad strength. And a little return of one of our favorite segments, sorry for your mentions. But Jake
0: Mintz, where would you like to begin this here show today? I would like to begin in the Queen City, Cincinnati, Ohio, where baseball magic is a plenty in June of 2023, and we are fortunate that you, Jordan Schusterman, happen to live an hour away, and it is easy for you to get to the great American ballpark, something that I didn't think I was going to be saying when this season kicked off. On Monday night, we had a very special moment. Joey Votto, the face of a franchise. He has been with the Reds in the big league since, I believe, 2007. He was out for almost a year with nagging injuries, and he made his glorious return to a very thankful Reds crowd on Monday night and was vital in their, I believe, six to five win over the Colorado Rockies, hitting a home run in the fifth and having a two run RBI single later on in the game. But it was more than just what he did on the field, it was the joy of having Votto back in our baseball lives. So, Jordan, let's start here. What has been your Joey Votto experience to this point, like before he debuted? having been around the Reds so frequently. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I right. So
1: I moved to the area last summer. And at that point, I believe the first game that I had seen, he was already done for the year. So the the key thing to know about Votto's year last year is that he was dealing... It was a very strange season last year. And when you pull up his stats, you see a guy who is 38 and has a 689 OPS... And if you just look at that, you think, oh, well, that's not a good sign. Like, that's not what you want to see for someone, you know, maybe and heading towards the end of his career. He was terrible in April like the rest of the Reds. He gets COVID in May and is out for three weeks. He comes back and is incredible. And for like a month and a half, he's amazing. And, And nobody notices because at this point, the Reds are already 30 games under 500 or whatever. And it doesn't matter. But then... The injury that you refer to as I mean, I guess that's sort of accurate to say it was nagging, but basically issues with his left shoulder and bicep had slowly been getting worse and worse and worse to the point where he needed to get surgery in August, in mid-August, which is basically right when I first got there. So I think the first time I went down there was either his one of his last games when he was in the midst of like a two for 40 stretch before he finally got surgery, Or he had already gotten surgery and he was done for the year. So that was last year. And if you recall, that didn't mean Joey Votto totally disappeared. Because I was there for at least one of the games where he was on the broadcast. Now that's something that you would normally be enjoying more so at home than in the press box. Because he was just up in the booth with John Sadak and Barry Larkin. But So he was like around. But last year, he was not in the clubhouse very often. Like I, I don't, th- maybe saw him once in the four or five times I went down the stretch. Okay. So I didn't see him much. He was appearing on the broadcast. It was like, Oh, Joey's back. He's up there with John. But that, so last year really did not see him around this season. If you recall over the off season, we know he got surgery and he had said, I would like to be back for opening day. That was a thing that he was, it was a goal. He didn't guarantee it, but like, that was clearly something. And so in spring training and I stopped by Reds camp once, That was clearly a a discussion point for a Reds team that, you know, there wasn't that much else to look forward to, at least in the immediate future, or so it seemed, even with the strong farm system. And so that was the talking point then, but he was not ready on opening day. And it didn't seem like he was close to ready on opening day. And so in April, though, he was around. You did see him working out a lot, but he wasn't doing really any media availabilities. He was here and there. Like, he was clearly hanging out with his teammates, working out. But then he goes on a rehab stand in April and it's a disaster. It's terrible. He strikes out 21 times in like 36 at-bats and he was not feeling good, and he wasn't feeling like himself. And the whispers around the team and just like you could infer which was like, "Uh-oh, right? This is not. This is not good." I remember
0: right you direction. saying to me around that point like Votto might be cooked.
1: Yeah. Like we were we were con- we were concerned. Like he cuz the whole thing, his whole thing the whole time has been like I am going to perform well when I come back. Like, I'm not going to come back until I feel like I can perform well. And so it seems like that few weeks in AAA was like, he's like, I'm not ready. This is not good. But instead of being like, oh, I'm done. I'm retiring. See ya. He kind of dials it back. And this is when you start seeing him at Great American basically every time. And he's there every game. And he's working at every game in the clubhouse. He's on the field. He's taking grounders from our friend Jeff Pickler. You know, he's occasionally do, taking swings, but we didn't see a lot of that. But again, like he's, he's doing his thing. No one is really bothering him, but he's around. He's very much there. And then he goes on this latest rehab stint, and then it starts to pick it up. And the numbers weren't that much better. But then you start to hear like, oh, he's, he's getting ready. And that's when he starts posting, right? <laughs> that's when he decides, okay, I'm ready to start making my Instagram jokes again, and I am ready to return. Joey and Votto so, yes. logged back on. Oh, he certainly did. And you know that he was not going to, you know, last year when he was definitively out, it was much easier for him to kind of accept like, I'm not coming back this year. So I'm going to have a good time. Right. And there was also at that point so early in the surgery rehab, it's like, I can't, there's nothing I could really be doing to make this go any faster. So I'm going to show up at local football games and Go to chess clubs in Toronto and post, you know, me dancing on the subway platform in Toronto, downtown Toronto. Like, all that stuff. It was easy because he, no one was going to be like, hey, Vado, like, work harder. Like, he was, he was doing his best, but it was early in the process. Right. Whereas now. Growing
0: out an absolutely gnarly beard. <laughs> right.
1: Whereas in now, the last few weeks, it was more like a, oh, like, he gets to make his jokes about coming back because he's feeling confident. And if there's anything I've now learned being around him, like. This dude is just so, and this is when you talk about greatness, when you talk about what it means to be this good for this long and to be able to kind of summon this level of performance, even when you are going to be 40 years old in September, and even when you had rotator cuff surgery when you're at 39 is is like this dude's still legit. And like I mentioned, like he was still pretty awesome last year for stretches at a time. And so that brings us to Monday, right? And Jake, we have, I've said many times like, There are very few baseball players who you want to go out of your way to listen to what they have to say.
0: (laughs) That's maybe a very basic way to put it. A lot of baseball players have things to share. Mm -hmm. A lot of baseball players have insight that is worth listening to, but rarely in a press conference setting because opinions and thoughts and comments are so watered down in that forum just because of the dynamic at play. Where if you're sitting at a table and there are a ton of cameras facing you and a ton of faces out in the crowd, you're going to be more hesitant to share what you genuinely have to say. And it's going to water everything down. And so for us, right, like we're trying to think of good examples of this. Like, okay, here's one. Clark Schmidt, right? Clark Schmidt, if you get him in a press conference, is not going to say anything interesting. But I've talked to him a bunch of times, like either off the record or one on one, and he's been pretty insightful. And so. Joey Votto is one of the very rare baseball players who no matter the setting is worth listening to, whether it is a press conference, whether it is like an awards show speech, whether it is 10 seconds of him with a camera facing him on his own Instagram story. He opens his mouth and my ears are open. Right. Or like
1: post-game with Jim Day, right? That's certainly one that's given us many funny moments over the years. But I bring that up to say that like now, but the reality is, if unless you are at Great American Ballpark, those clips that you see, and sure, they'll stream pressers in, in their entirety or whatever, but like generally those you know moments of Joey inst- having insight in a, in a post game or pre game whatever are condensed edited and like you're getting the best of the best of the best but the thing is is that if he sits in front of a camera and a microphone for 20 minutes the whole thing is fascinating because like it's not just necessarily that every single word out of his mouth is this great piece of wisdom or insight or the funniest thing you've ever heard. But it's like these little interactions here and there. Like, for example, this is something that I don't think you would have seen at any point, even if you watched the presser, because it was like so subtle, but you had to see it early. And again, he talked for 20 minutes before the game. And at some point early on, some local reporter asked him something. And Joey ends it by making a joke about how he's like, I'm not sure right now. Like, how about you slide into my DMs and I'll, I'll answer that later. So Joey makes that joke. He says that to the reporter. And then like 10 minutes later, John Sadak asks a question, the Reds broadcaster, and he starts, Joey starts answering it. And then in the middle of his answer, he goes, Oh, John slid into my DMs. That was a very nice. That was a very nice message, John. (laughs) It was like a callback, and and it obviously embarrassed John like crazy. But it was so funny because it was like, "What are you gonna do?" I like we need to tell Joey Votto like, "Hey, man, not cool, (laughs) blowing up my spot for sending you a welcome back message." But it's just little things like that, and there's so many. He he's not capable of giving a canned answer. Right. And also the other part of it is since he has been away for so long, he's been thinking about a lot of this stuff for a while. And so he clearly was kind of ready to share how, how he was feeling and what all this process has been.
0: Okay. So let's just, the game is honestly in some ways an afterthought. (laughs) What happens in his first at bat? So his first at bat, second
1: pitch, he lines out to center. Um, and he gets a big ovation before he walks up. Oh
0: yeah. 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 Crowd's going crazy. He waves, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Second at bat, he goes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: First pitch of the of the inning, like it was uh, apparently it happened so fast that Cincinnati radio missed it. Oh, like no. it, 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 and this has apparently been an issue for some radio broadcasts because of the pitch clock that it's gone faster and like it's the cadence has become a little bit more complicated. So yeah, so Joey comes up, bam, like it's like before we've
0: like settled back into our seats. Joey's That's so tough if you're the radio guy, right? Because you'll <laughs> you'll have some instances where on a broadcast you'll miss the first pitch of the inning and you'll just be like. Mm-hmm. And there was an O one, you know, like you'll you'll say, oh, you know, you missed the fastball away. It's like, and mm-hmm. welcome back to the Reds broadcast network. Joey Votto went yard. Um, sorry, you missed it. And up to bat is <laughs> worse, worse version of that. So,
1: um, so he goes yard, and then you know later he comes up. Well, he gets he, the
0: he gets oh. a curtain call, and he comes out in the Viking costume. Yes. which is the Reds kind of home run celebration. Mm-hmm. And instead of tipping his Reds cap, he tips the Viking helmet. In yes, perfect Votto fashion.
1: And the great thing about that, yeah, I, I do like the – I like that it's a two-piece. He's got – it's a cape and the helmet. Apparently, the piece. first version of the helmet was, like, legitimately big and heavy. <laughs> and so they had to pivot because that was not something you should really be throwing <laughs> around in Major League Dugout. Um, so they, I think they pivoted. to more of, like, the Party City plastic version. But anyway, so that's a great moment, of course. Like, like I mean, it felt like – I mean, it felt like a movie, not in just the sense that, like, duh – because Homer in his first game back, but like of course he does the the you know curtain call with the with the costume in a way that no one else has. Like it was great. So then and then later he, you know, he gives him the the go-ahead single. Um he draws a walk, uh, he gets pinch run for. And the, then... The, just quickly, yeah. the
0: photo of Votto in the Viking outfit tipping his cap, like that will be printed out and Put around the Red Stadium. Yes. You will see that for a long time, and you will need to explain to generations of baseball fans why the heck this future Hall of Famer was wearing a Viking outfit in this
1: photo. (laughs) And this is what I'm going to write more about, I think, in the next week or so about Votto, is basically what is so amazing about him, is that this man won the MVP before Instagram existed okay and he has persisted and ex- continued to excel for another decade plus to the point where he is the funniest player on Instagram and also a part of these home run celebrations that when he was a rookie would have been completely inconceivable and he's and he fits right in right and there's people okay well he's way older than this extremely young clubhouse And no one could – he couldn't care any less. He loves it. He's like – and he said even before the game, like, I feel like I just got called back up. Like, he's so re-energized by this team. And, of course, being in first place helps. But that's what's so cool about him kind of being back into the mix
0: here. What we talked about before this season was how sad it might be to see Votto in his last year of the contract playing out the string for a team that was non-competitive. And – we are so fortunate that we get to see the re-energized, committed, interested, and invested version of Joey Votto. That is what we deserve as baseball fans who have followed him, and that is what he deserves as someone who has given his entire life to an organization. And not to sound like an old geezer here, but we don't see players committed to a single organization for their entire careers anymore. Now, the reason we don't see that is because a lot of the smaller market teams are cheap, and don't want to give long-term contracts to players. And so players hop around between markets a lot more than they used to. But the end result is you don't get that connection between player and city in the same way that maybe we did 30 years ago before Jordan and I were walking this earth. Mm -hmm. And something that Vado said that really struck me was speaking about the curtain call moment he had after the home run, where he really wanted to describe it not as the crowd thanking him or him thanking the crowd, but an exhibition, an example, a snapshot of the long-term relationship. I believe those were the words he used. The long-term relationship, acknowledging that and how special that is between a player and a city. And to me, it gets at the heart of why anybody is a sports fan. Why do you commit to a team, to the players on the team? Most of us are smart enough to know that it is a business and that the team, the organization exists mostly to take our money and to make money off of a place. Now, there is a community aspect to it as well, where you're investing in the place that the team exists, yada, yada, yada. But the reason that we give a crap as fans and the reason we let ourselves give a crap despite all the evidence to the otherwise is so we can have these emotional relationships with people, with players, and invest in them for a significant period of time. And Joey Votto recognizing how important that is to the essence of sports fandom is very refreshing and very meaningful and is a great example of like the Reds fans have given themselves to Joey Votto in this way. They have allowed him to mean something to them. And Votto has the as the perspective to understand how important and cool and special that is. And I was really struck and honestly, like, touched by that. It's hard to watch Joey Vado's post-game press conference and not be emotionally moved. The part where he's, like, tapping his chest and saying, I'm a Reds fan. I'm yes. a Reds fan. Yes. That is so cool. And it's not cheesy, right? Like, No. It's not no. a player saying, I want to be here forever. You know, we're doing it for the team, for the – like, he cares, and we're able to see that he cares. It's so cool, man.
1: Yeah, it's – and the whole I'm a Reds fan thing is something that's gone back a few years, and I would love to talk to him more about that in particular and kind of when that started to happen. And so hopefully I'll get the opportunity to do that this season. But, yeah, So my guess there –
0: My guess there is, like, when the injuries started. Because when you start to not be in the dugout every day around a team and you are watching the team – From afar, like Joey Votto, I would imagine for a decent period of time, especially maybe when the team was on the road and like 2014, he missed a lot of time. He's taking the Reds in in a similar fashion that all the fans are from afar.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's definitely part of it. I mean, I remember the same interview where he was making the jokes about Jim Day with Jim Day um which is an an iconic spring training moment he also used the, the the terminology i'm a reds fan and how at that point in 18 when they were kind of heading into this darker period when it wasn't going well like he realized like, I am a Reds fan. I want Reds fans to feel excited and, and they deserve so much more. And that's what he, that terminology you kept referring to is that they've earned this. They're the ones that do deserve this kind of moment and this kind of season and this kind of team. And he's, he's one of those fans too. So he also knows that he himself, you know, has earned the opportunity to still be around and be a part of a group like this, which is, which is really special.
0: And then the last thing I want to mention is how the language he used to talk about how he wants to ke- get up to speed with this team.
1: Mm-hmm. He yes. is
0: r- really aware how special and how good this young Reds team is and how the energy in the city and around the clubhouse is real. And now he doesn't want to just come up and be washed. He didn't say the word washed, but that was what he was pointing at, right? Like, I don't want to be on in this lineup and drag everyone down as the old guy who can't get up to speed. And I think that's why maybe we waited a little bit longer for him to come back hmm. than it would have. I think if the Reds had sucked, he might have been back a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. But he really wanted to feel ready to be a contributing member of this roster.
1: Yeah, I think he's been confident that he could do it. But to your point, like that struck me too, especially pregame. Is he said, like I have to be a value add. I need to be good for this to be worthwhile for both sides. And that's really cool. And he said, and he like loves that he thrives on the, the pressure that's pushing him because he has to, he has to earn it because even if you have, I know we talked about them in the last pop, but like their lineup is to the point now where like, he can't just, you can't just put him the back batting third. Like it's not that simple. And he realizes that too, but he's certainly not complaining. He's going to have to earn it. And I
0: think he, he probably will. So I'm excited to see where the Vado story goes from here. Ideally, He's great, and the Reds are great, and what an ending to a tale it would be! Is it going to work out that way? Who knows? Time will tell. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back after that talking Victor Wembanyama seven foot four first pitch, and who's the best pitcher in the world? This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of the Smiley Show, a SiriusXM podcast you want to know what I love about golf I get to talk to some really cool people I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world and I get to share it with you every single week listen to the smiley show right now on stitcher pandora apple or wherever you get your podcasts that's smiley s-n-y-l-i-e And welcome back to Baseball BarbaCast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman, who is built like a shorter version of Victor Wembanyama. Jordan, Victor Wembanyama is going to be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft tomorrow night. He is seven foot four. He is from France. He moves like a point guard. He is a generational talent. Considered the best draft prospect since LeBron. Is that fair? Um,
1: seems like it, yeah. That's seems about like right. Seems
0: like it. Mm-hmm. And yesterday. He showed up at Yankee Stadium for a first pitch. Unfortunately, I was not there. I got back from the College World Series in Omaha a couple hours before. Woke up from a nap around 6 o'clock to a text from Jordan with a picture of Wemby holding a baseball. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, I got to get over there right now. You know, like drop everything and read. But I didn't do that. And instead, we're going to take this in on video. Victor Wemanyama threw out the first pitch. And it was certainly notable.
1: Yes. So a couple levels to this. First of all, yes, I I can understand there was probably some level of FOMO considering we just talked about this exact scenario and (laughs) when we would see Victor uh, on a baseball field. Had I had known that the draft was in New York, I believe it's in Brooklyn, I probably would have seen this coming a little bit more easily. Um, but either way, this was an incredible thing. Jun Lee, our friend Jun Lee, was all over it. He delivered some fantastic pictures to the timeline. It seemed like the main Yankee he was hanging out with the most was Jose Trevino for whatever reason, which I love that. That tells me a lot about Jose Trevino because he was the one that was like, I, if you people aren't going to go talk to this guy, I will. Like, if I'm on the team and I get to go do this, I will go talk to him, which is fantastic. Maybe um, it
0: is, you know, Jose Trevino. Uh, an Oral Roberts. Oh, that's true. Alum, Oral Roberts, Cinderella run to the College World Series. Maybe Wemby had some questions about that.
1: <laughs> right. He was like, I like Jonah Cox in the fourth round. Um, but anyway, so Victor is, I mean, everything about just like seeing people, tall people, whatever, this isn't that unique. You see basketball players show up. But seven four is where you get a little bit more different. There's a picture of him holding a bat where the bat looks tiny. We didn't get to see him take any swings the way that we saw Giannis take swings a couple years back. So that's still on the table for a video that hopefully we'll see someday. But let's talk about the first pitch. Yeah, I, uh, How about you describe uh, to me? Give me a play-by-play play on the first pitch, and then we'll get to our reaction. Uh,
0: the beanpole <laughs> strolls out to the mound, clapping to the crowd, wearing a throwback Yankees jersey with the number five on it. He takes the mound facing home plate, his feet pointed towards the catcher, bends down slightly and does the MVP Baseball 2004 <laughs> double arm swing move that you would see from Satchel Page, which is hilarious. He tosses the ball up to himself mid-motion Wander Franco style. He takes a step back with his left foot and then he gets to leg lift. And I want to pause it here at leg lift. When he gets to leg lift, I am shocked by how good it looks. He uh, looks yes. coordinated and balanced and ready to surprise the world, ready to yes. shock the nation.
1: Hundred percent. At,
0: at this point, I think he's going to deliver a strike, like when Kaepernick threw out the first pitch and it was eighty nine. <laughs> that's what I think we're seeing here.
1: And then, but, but but Kaepernick is a good. That's a good comp, just because to remember that this is key here. A couple key points about what happens next. First of all, shout out Clark Schmidt, who I believe is catching. Um, so that's the first thing. So good mentioning him earlier, but we have, we always have to remember, particularly with athletes, but in this case, especially foreign athletes is that Colin Kaepernick probably and all the other athletes who have delivered great first pitch have thrown a baseball before, right? That has happened. It is probably a a motion that they have done. Whereas Victor, to your point at this point, he knows that a pitching delivery involves lifting your leg, right? And kind of holding like he's, he's figured that much out. But what happens next, I think, is a product of two very
0: key points. So then describe what happens next. His front, as he breaks his hands and strides forward, his front foot, his left leg, lands much, much, much too far towards the first base side. That is the biggest issue where everything goes. Flying open. (laughs) Flying open like, like a plane door. And the ball, he, he, he goes through and the ball just flies towards the first base side of the batter's box. Clark Schmidt can't wrangle it. And we have a viral video forever. So
1: I think that this is a result of two things. First of all, right, what you just said is when he flies open, he's so he's pulling it immediately. But I think we have to harp on the photo that he posted on his own Instagram about what a baseball looks like in Victor Wembanyama's hands. Okay. I assume he posted on his own Instagram with the caption LMAO, which same bro, because Oh my God. And I think that is really all you need to know about why this is probably so difficult to do on the first try. You are, if you're a normal person, go pick up like either a golf ball or a ping pong ball and try to throw it. And have it go straight, especially if you don't necessarily know how to grip it the way that you probably should be gripping a baseball. Because people see the big hands and they say, oh, my God, think of the potential to throw a splitter and the spin rate. And, like, that's all technically true if you were going to train him all these different ways for many weeks at a time. But if you just hand him a baseball and say throw it, there, you're going to have some issues getting the ball out of your hand. <laughs> And that, I think, is a big part of what happened here.
0: Right. He's, like, gripping it too long, and so he's pulling across it as he's throwing, and that's another reason why it goes so far to the first base side.
1: Yes. The other thing about it, when you pause at foot strike, his first foot strike, is that everyone, predictably, when you're seven four, you make the joke, you know, someone responded to us, oh, like, you know, 100th percentile extension. Except look where his arm is. His arm is so far back because, again, this is the part of the delivery that you need to be practicing for the entirety of your life if you're going to actually know how to do. And so even though, yes, in theory, he would be able to reach down the mound and drop it into the catcher's mitt, that is the physical motion he does not know how to do. And though his his arm is dragging, that's bad. I mean, I I don't like that for the UCL at all.
0: Yeah, it's certainly an injury risk. Can you imagine if he tore his UCL? (laughs) doing this. Like if Wemby went out there and, and blew up his elbow two days before the
1: draft. Well, that was my other takeaway was, and you know, I tweeted a poll that, you know, got over 3000 votes was the first pitch better than expected, worse than expected about what you expected. 68% about what you expected. Only 10% better than expected. 21% worse than expected. But my takeaway was he did like, this was a real effort. Sometimes we see athletes like they're, they're going to lob it. It's like, it's clearly like a half ass. Like, he clearly went up there trying to, to pitch like he was trying to deliver a pitch. And I think that is what kind of gave him some issues because he hadn't there was higher effort than I think his body uh, coordination was fully prepared for.
0: I think it was better than I expected. There's something to work with here. The way he gets the leg lift is very impressive. There's absolutely zero sh- hip shoulder separation <laughs> going yeah. on. Which again, understandable. He plays probably the least rotational sport that exists. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if those are motions he can do. The layback with his arm is nuts. Like he's just not loading at all. He's kind of shot putting it forward. Yes. That being said, Jordan, this guy's a pretty good athlete. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be four. clear, you realize?
1: definitely still a lot to work with. I still believe his future's on the mound, not at first base. Although I enjoy that that speculation. To your point, just the balance he's exhibiting at, you know, the top of his delivery is is shocking. Uh, but there's just a lot going on with getting that arm in the right spot and getting that ball in the right part of his hand for him to deliver it with any sort of consistency. That would it would take a lot of time. It would take a another lot
0: of time. another takeaway here. Clark Schmidt's reaction time to this is horrible.
1: Well, and people said, like, a real catcher probably keeps that in front of him. <laughs> I think that that is...
0: I mean, a... if there's a batter in there, Wembenyama's breaking a kneecap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes.
1: I, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely concerning.
0: Wembenyama threw this pitch, and the Rays dug out halfway across the country, felt a pin in their <laughs> body. Anytime there's a ball thrown into the batter's box at Yankee Stadium the Tampa Bay Rays get angry about it.
1: Yeah, but you know he's again though, he's basically like an old high schooler. Like he just turned 19 in January. So, there's a lot of room to work with. I mean, to me like you you got to go to school. Right? If I'm if I'm Victor and I'm like considering him a prospect, like I can't sign this kid out of out of high school, French High School. I don't think. Yeah,
0: no way. You got to get Sean Jelly on the phone with the Giants, the 6 foot 11 kid. <laughs> Sean Jelly's like, "I'm not that tall." <laughs> Jelly's like, I can give this guy some tips. He's a little too tall though. All right. From not the best pitcher in the world to who is the best pitcher in the world. This week at Fox Sports, uh, I wrote about who is the best pitcher in the world. Because I think that we, as a baseball community, are in a bizarre place with the best pitcher in the world. Over the last decade and a half, I think there were really five people who you could call the best pitcher in the world at any point. Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, Justin Verlander. Garrett Cole and Jacob Degrom. You could argue for Sean Bieber or Sean Shane Bieber's 2020 or Corey Kluber for a year or two, but those five guys: Degrom, Scherzer, Verlander, um, Cole, and who am I forgetting? Kershaw. Kershaw. Those are the five, right? And right now, I feel pretty good that it's not clear anymore with Degrom going on the shelf. He is certainly no longer the best pitcher in the world. And so what I did, I asked around to basically every scout, front office executive, and MLB player in my phone. I copy-pasted the same message asking them who the best pitcher on the planet is if the aliens were coming to destroy the human race. And they said, we'll do one game, though. Who's starting for the humans? Jordan, I believe I included six of the answers on this page. Garrett Cole, Shane McClanahan, Spencer Strider... Zach Gallen, Framber Valdez, Shohei Otani, with honorable mentions of Kevin Gossman, Christian Javier, Zach Wheeler, Justin Verlander Still, and Clayton Kershaw. Where do you fall on the list I compiled? Which again is not necessarily my list, but more the list that I got back from the people who know more than me.
1: Yeah, so I think the safest answer is Garrett Cole, and we are coming off of an excellent Garrett Cole showing last night against the oh-so-intimidating Mariner's offense. Um, But he has, I think, established the highest baseline for the longest that makes me feel the safest about him being the answer for one game. Uh, That said, I think like the best version of Strider, McClanahan, Otani – is probably better than Cole at this point. And Gallen is an interesting part of this conversation as well. And he's clearly earned the respect of people and has put up enough scoreless inning streaks where you're like, well, shit, he doesn't throw 100, but he's clearly one of the best pitchers in the world. And so that is the other thing that, you know, separates him from the rest of the group of hard throwers. But like at some point,
0: he's doing what he's doing. He's getting outs. That's how I feel about Zach Gallen. He is perpetually doomed to forever be one of the best pitchers in the world. However, I don't think that you can call him the best pitcher in the world because from a consistency perspective, I still probably take Cole over him. Maybe that's disrespectful, but I still probably take Garrett Cole over him. And then from a, a ceiling perspective, like you said, you're taking the other three guys, Strider, Otani, and McClanahan.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I've made this comp and it's not just because he's Zach G, but like he feels like Granky. I mean, that's what that is the closest thing that he feels like in terms of compared to his contemporaries, too. And we'll see. Maybe Gallen does win a Cy Young this year the way that. Granky did in 2009. And then he finished, you know, later on, he has a bunch of runs where he doesn't win it again, but he's clearly one of the best pitchers in the league. And perhaps that is kind of the trajectory we're going to see from Gallon too. And that does deserve him to be in the conversation. Did we consider Granke as the best pitcher in the world at some point? Now at that point, you know, there's other guys in the mix, like Felix, of course, right? Like there were some other guys at that point too. But I think that's kind of where he's headed. So I don't know. Did you I don't know if you want to give your answer. And, and like I said, I, I, it's really hard. I think we are at a tough spot here. Another guy that was not mentioned, but who won the signing last year is Sandy. Right. And he's obviously struggled this year. But when you watched him last year, you could make cases for him. He hadn't done it for that long enough, but obviously the best version of him and the, the degree to which he was delivering innings, unlike anybody else, I think warranted him being in the conversation, too.
0: I texted maybe 35 people and not one of them responded with those five letters in that order. S-A-N-D-Y. I did not get that, that word. Like that was not even mentioned. No, I, bl- I believe you. Me.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which, which is which I was which surprised by. I, I think that is still recent. I have to think that's recency bias. Like if you did this last September, someone's going to say his name. Like there's no way. Um, but I get it, right? Obviously, it was just a, a one-year. I mean, he, you know, he's been good for a few. So I get it. I'm not saying that's egregious, but I just felt like considering he is a
0: defending Cy Young, I, I wanted to mention him. And when you're answering this question, there's a balance between what have you done for me recently and your long-term track record. Mm-hmm. So a number of people, surprisingly and not, said Michael Waka. Now, Michael <laughs> Waka has been unbelievable for the last month and a half. But I cannot print with my name on it the words Michael Waka best pitcher on the planet until he does it for another year. There's no chance, right? Whereas Sandy, who a year ago was the most dominant guy in the sport, no one said his name to me. And there is a level of recency bias there for sure. But at the same time, Spencer Strider, I know he was good last night against the Phillies. Spencer Strider before that looked really bad for about a month where his velocity was down and he just wasn't the same guy. Mm -hmm. And yet a number of people said Strider.
1: I am actually more interested in McClanahan versus Strider. We obviously totally flubbed when we did our top twenty-six, ended up going with Manoa over those two, but those are the other two we were considering. And I think McClanahan has been I mean McClanahan's ERA right now is lower than I guess Strider missed some innings. So maybe Strider's not qualifying, or maybe he no, no no, been, no, 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 no. Strider's
0: yes. ERA sucks, dude. Okay. Since Strider so has like a We're, four something right now.
1: Whereas McClanahan, I believe, has the lowest ERA in baseball since the beginning of last season among starting pitchers, like fairly comfortably. Um, and so and like when you watch him, he does feel like the least. <laughs> he he's the one where you watch, and Strider's like this way too, but McClanahan, when he's on, is just like, I don't even this is like a left-handed thing that I just cannot really remember seeing to this degree. And so I I'm almost more and because he's been more consistent, I know he's had a couple clunkers but not like Strider, I'm I think I would defer more to McClanahan over Strider at this point, but I understand the the argument for for Strider.
0: So the other thing that McClanahan has going for him is his pitch mix versus Strider. So Spencer is really reliant on his fastball, his fastball velocity and his fastball spin to get swings and misses in the zone with his heater. So like Strider, the part of the reason he's so good is if he's 2-0 in the count, right? He could just throw you a fastball like up and you probably won't hit it. And now it's 2-1 and he can go back to the slider and it changes the whole dynamic. Most players in a 2-0 count either need to dot a fastball in a perfect spot in the zone, they need to throw a breaking pitch and hope that you foul it off or that you take it or whatever, or they're going to get crushed. Strider does not have to worry about that when his fastball's on. But when it's not on, he does have to worry about that. And he is not yet, I say yet because I think he'll get there, shown the ability to pitch without that successfully. Whereas McClanahan is only 42% heater, 24% changeup, 18% curve, 15% slider. So on any given day, he can spot any of those three other pitches when he's behind in the cap, especially the changeup, which is maybe the most underrated pitch in baseball. Yeah, and he's – yeah,
1: McLennan is just – he is unbelievable. And But I, I wanted to that, – that brings me to one other guy well, I wanted like, to bring up. Yeah.
0: One last thing with him. Like two years ago, maybe even a year ago, if you watch him pitch, there was an element of LOL, fastball, left-hander, 97 go brrr. <laughs> And he's not that guy really no. anymore. It's a pitcher who happens oh, yeah. to throw 97, not a, a hurler. Who's rearing back and hoping good things?
1: Happen. And and I think you know when we talked to him earlier this season, you know we really we really learned that and and how much he's embraced being like, yeah, I am one of the handful of left-handers on the planet that can throw a hundred, but it's also fun for me to dominate you with three other pitches. And he's really really taken that to heart, and that's been really impressive. But he does also make me want to bring up one other guy here, which is I think another part of why this is an interesting conversation, and that's Justin Verlander, because. Last, if you go to, I just mentioned before, I think he has the lowest ERA since the beginning of last season. That's actually not true because even after last night when Verlander allowed some more runs, Verlander's ERA since the start of last year, 238, McClanahan 239. So it's practically identical, but I did just want to mention that because of how we felt about Verlander before this season and before his weird start with the injury and how he's looked with the Mets. And what he did last year coming off of TJ and going into the free agency and getting the gigantic contract that he did. I'm curious where you feel like he fits into this conversation at this point.
0: I just need to see him more. I need to see him bounce back. Because if we're saying we got to face the aliens tomorrow,
1: I know <laughs> I agree. I, as we saw last night, you know, I'm, I'm not sending – I mean, I know he still goes seven, but I'm not sending him out there against the aliens if he's, you know, g- getting – Four runs to the current version of the Astros, which isn't very good.
0: And compared to Strider, who has been like similarly shaky recently, Verlander is 40. Okay. And so anytime he has two bad starts in a row, there's a tendency, a desire to say, oh, well, he's done. He's on the downhill. Age is coming. And eventually that will be true. There will be a time. It has to happen. It -hmm. might not be now, but anytime you see it, it gives you reason to believe that it is happening now. That
1: said... I see. It's weird because their numbers are similarly blah, so it's hard to really say. But like, I still, I think, feel better about Verlander being in this conversation than Scherzer. But I don't, I don't even know if that's fair. I do. You, do you think that's fair? Like, I they've both clearly disappointed this year. They've both clearly are dealing with injury issues and possible I'm old issues. But they've they've each had at least a handful of like, up, oh, whoop, oh, yep, that's those guys again but not remotely consistently enough to have them at the top of this conversation.
0: I think the difference between the two of them is that Verlander has played for a month plus less. And so yeah, for him, so- you can say, well, he's had less time to get up to speed, whereas we'd ha- we've had two and a half months of Scherzer trying to rev up the engine and be more consistent, and we just haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. The other name that I got a lot was Kevin Gossman, which is yeah. interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. his strikeout rate is basically as good as any of these guys. Mm-hmm. And his ERA over the last two years is just as low as any of these guys.
1: So, well, the interesting thing is his ERA is is over three. He, last year, he had oh, a, really? probably one of the the least lucky um, you know, ERA to FIP. But his his FIP is the second lowest in baseball behind only Strider since the start of last season, a minimum 200. So that's where he actually – first of all, he passes the eye test. I mean, when you talk about his splitter and you see Gosman as he's on, like I do think he belongs – in that conversation. Do I think he is like that much better than Wheeler or you know, Luis Castillo is of course I'm biased, but like he's in that mix too. Like, I don't think even Fromber, like, is he that much better than those guys? I don't know. I think those those are like the next tier where if they rattle off a two month stretch where they look like the best pitcher in baseball, the way that Gallon has, then you kind of put them more in that discussion. He's amazing. I'm not, I can't take anything away from him there, but uh, that's kind of where I'm at on him. And Freed is the other one who's been injured this year, numbers wise, is in the mix, but I feel like eye test wise,
0: not quite there, but probably deserves to be mentioned. And then Kershaw, who's, it's really, he's crazy, right? Because four years ago, he starts the decline, and we're talking about, well, DeGrom, Scherzer, Verlander, they're keeping it going, and Kershaw's falling off. And those guys have kind of of fallen off past Kershaw, who took a half step down and has been the same pitcher now. Like, really, really, really good for four years.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And then the one other one I do want your thoughts on is Otani.
0: Um, Well, just quickly, Christian Javier. I had a scout who was adamant that Christian Javier needed to be on the main list and that it was malpractice not to mention him with these other names when you look at the numbers. And was confused what else people wanted from him, considering he threw a no hitter in the World Series against the Phillies a couple months ago.
1: Yeah, I would say the strikeouts just have not been there to the same degree this year. He's been good; the ERA is under three, uh, but he's striking out fewer than a guy per not per inning at this point. Which is he's again he just he just had you know six scoreless. Uh, recently, but only two strikeouts. But like for whatever reason, the strikeouts are down. I don't know if the velo's down. Yeah, uh, the velo's
0: big. down about uh 1.2 miles per okay. hour. On the
1: so fastball. and 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 that might be the difference when you're talking about the kind of fastball that he has that already wasn't top tier velocity. It was more about everything else about it and where he locates it and the spin rate and how it you know the approach angle and everything. You know, if you lose a tick, that is going to become less effective a lot faster than a guy that loses a tick throwing 98 to 97 or a guy that loses a tick that doesn't have that kind of carry at the top of the zone. So he's still been very good. I mean, I think he's proven himself as an incredibly reliable pitcher. I probably wouldn't name too many before guys that I would be confident wouldn't get shelled by the aliens. But is he the best of the best of the best? I can't say that this year because he hasn't looked as dominant, I would say.
0: All right, let's pivot to Otani, who was the, that was the answer I got the most, was Otani. Okay. Which is interesting for a number of reasons, because yes. before last start he had been pretty meh in May, and well, even yeah. weirder than that, I think he had a start a couple starts ago where he just stopped throwing the sweeper and he went really heavy on the fastball
1: well he that's okay, that's interesting because what I was about to say is clearly one of the biggest issues, and when you're talking, it's so funny with him because you're you're constantly looking Cri- for like, h- how are we, sub- oh, like, guys, he has the most homers in baseball too. So, um, but <laughs> but the thing is, is when you, let's just focus on, we're talking about him as a pitcher. Okay. We know he hits. We know he's been amazing. He's the best player right. in the world. Duh. Right. That should not be overlooked, but we're focusing, we are evaluating him as a pitcher. And when you watch him, the two things that stand out the most are obviously the stuff is unbelievable. He's basically, he's calling his own pitches for for the most part, especially this season more than ever. And it's been an over-reliance on the sweeper. He's used the sweeper so much and he's given up massive homers in spots where it's like, why are you throwing this pitch over and over and over and over when you have all these other amazing pitches? It's that. And occasionally it's 30 grade command. And sometimes during his start, he just kind of loses it. And the stuff is so good that he can still usually get through six or seven innings, but it's, it's not the most efficient Again, we're nitpicking. We're talking about him as the best pitcher in the world when he already is one of the best hitters in the world. But if we are evaluating and comparing him, those are the main the main critiques at this stage.
0: The sense I got from folks around the game who picked Otani was they watched the World Baseball Classic and how he handled himself on the mound in that setting, on that stage, even though his two starts weren't against particularly... Uh, Dominant teams, his relief appearance for Japan in the final. I think that was a bit of a motherfucker moment that people around the league look to and see as, oh, he's different. He's the pitcher who should be on the mound if we're trying to save the world. Like I had players who have never seen him in person, who've never played the Angels, right? Who've never seen Otani pitch, who are like, it's Otani. And I think that's super instructive too. Yeah, no, and and
1: as far as eye test goes, he's in. He's at the top. I mean, I don't know who else when they are throwing as hard as they are, and when the off speed stuff is working. Because like, there's a reason he leads on the sweeper. It's a ridiculous pitch. But like when he's throwing the splitter, and when he's throwing, like it's all there. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Right, like him, and I think McClanahan and honestly, still Cole to some degree when the command is on and every and everything's working. I test best version. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, it's just the consistency because I can't have him, you know, walking three aliens on the top of the first. That's, that puts, now again, Otani can homer. So that's also why you pick him <laughs> to make sure he's on your team so that he can also bat. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is interesting. And, and the other thing that I, I, I kind of, we've heard um, talk about this, from you know Rowan Kavner, our, our Fox Sports colleague, and he's been or he's in L.A. and around the Angels and Dodgers more. But like the thing about Otani is like he's he's very much he's doing he's doing all of it on his own. Like you're not going to tell Otani what to do necessarily, <laughs> and so it's hard to like intervene and be like, hey, change this when you are the best player in the world. Not that Otani's some like stubborn you know, dickhead telling everyone to like fuck off, but you can understand, especially with the dynamic with the angels this year, it's like, what are they going to tell him? Like, Hey man, you need to change these things. Like probably not. And so he's kind of on his own in that sense, which I'm sure he likes it that way. But that is another interesting element. I would say, um, as you watch him evolve as a pitcher,
0: quick Otani thing. Uh, the general manager of the angels, Perry Manassian was asked whether or not the angels would be trading Otani, with him becoming a free agent at the end of the year. And what did Perry say? Nope. Duh. We hope he will be here for the long haul. Here, I want to just read the quote exactly because it made me laugh. Because if you're the general manager of the Angels, of course he went Otani around. Okay, here's a quote, Jordan. Ready? I think anybody who has watched this player looked where we're at in the standings. I've said it before and I say it again. We like him and we hope he's here a long time. It's pretty self explanatory where we're at. That is so funny. So, yeah, you know, we got this Otani guy on the on the roster. We really we like him a lot. We think he can do a lot of things for a ball club. Here's another funny Otani thing. <laughs> Whenever you have a player who's not that good and a GM or a manager is like, oh, yeah, this guy can do a lot for your ball club. No one says that about Otani, even though yes. he is the one doing the most for a ball club.
1: So true. Oh, my God. David Bell, Reds manager, said this. I would say this was something uttered a lot more last year when they were really bad and calling up random players that were like, you know, for a guys it's like he can do, I mean, this is sort of what you're saying, but I'm going to change it specifically. He can do a lot to help us win. That is like my favorite manager speak. No, it's so right. Otani. You're so right. You never, you never say that about the guy who's doing the most to help you win. Um, that quote is there's too many words there. I understand that for the angels media, for any national media that like the instinct over the last three years has been, Oh, like you just kind of like fall back into it. Like, Oh, you're going to trade Otani, but like guys, they're in second place. All right. Well Come on. We don't, (laughs) it's possible. The angels will still give us a a possibility to really ask this question. That's not, I know we have a possibly boring trade deadline ahead. Let's, let's, let's at least be realistic here. Speaking Uh, of good
0: pitchers. Yeah. (laughs) Quick talk on call-up. Gavin Williams, who is not the best pitcher in the world, however, might be the best pitching prospect in the world, Mm -hmm. was called up by the Guardians this week. He will make his Major League debut. Jordan, give everyone a brief overview on Gavin Williams. So I believe he is debuting tonight
1: against Oakland. Not the worst assignment. Um, So if he punches out, however, let's not many... Let's not get too excited. But yeah, I mean, I've been excited about this kid for a while. He was at East Carolina and showed kind of incredible stuff out of the bullpen, but was not picked in 2020 uh, in the shortened draft. And then 2021, Cleveland takes him in the first round. Talent-wise, no one was really worried about him. He had a questionable medical that I think maybe dropped him down a little bit, but he's been healthy in pro ball. And, you know, he fits again. Talk about eye tests. Like, he's a big, big, strong dude. Throws really hard. Off-speed stuff's fantastic. And he's the kind of guy too, it's been it was an interesting one because we talk so much about Cleveland and the kinds of players they target. And you think of the Tanner Bybes and the Biebers and oh, they're only throwing 90 at this small California or at this California school. Like, okay, we're gonna make him throw really hard. Like if you watch Gavin Williams in college, it's like, no, that dude's it's kind of ready-made. And so what you've seen with him is the team that knows how to get the most out of their pitchers getting the most out of a pitcher who already has a lot. And that's, what's been really impressive. And when you watch him, I think, I think that'll come across. And I think that him and Bobby and Allen, when you see the injuries to McKenzie, which sucks, we haven't really talked about that, but he's clearly going to be out for a while. And this slight regression from Bieber, like these three guys, as underwhelming as that offense has been, they could be the key to keeping them in the season, to keeping them in the central race. Like they, those three alone could be enough to really keep them in the mix. And do I think they're a World Series contender? No, because of what that lineup is. But they can absolutely end up in the postseason again, um, and it's because of guys like him.
0: So I'm on the, uh, on the Instagram machine earlier. I'm scrolling through my Instagram machine, and I see a post from SNY, okay? The Mets broadcast outlet. And there's a graphic with a picture of Francisco Lindor that says, Francisco Lindor's numbers since birth of daughter. Francisco Lindor's daughter was born earlier this week. Congratulations to the Lindor family. We love life. Love having kids in the world. Woo! Yeah! And Lindor is three for eight with two homers and six RBIs since this. And I couldn't stop laughing when I saw this because three for eight with two homers since birth of daughter. Not birth of his daughter. Since birth of daughter. Makes me laugh so hard. Because I need the opposite. We have never had children, Jordan. But I can imagine that having a child is probably detrimental to trying to play sports. And so I need the opposite graphic of this. I want a graphic that says Jeff McNeil exhausted since birth of son scuffling at plate. I need Mark Canna many sleepless nights due to wailing of child. That's what I want. We can't just focus on the positive here.
1: That is definitely happening all the time
0: wait Chris hey Chris are you there Chris can you come (laughs) on you've had a kid I have yeah do you think that you'd be a good MLB player right after having a child
1: I wasn't a good human after having a child for like three (laughs) months afterwards the lack of sleep that I had
0: in that time is insane so I couldn't do anything you you did not hit a single home run after having a kid not one no
1: absolutely hitless
0: Hitless, Chris, producer Chris, Hitless since birth of daughter. But here's
1: here's here's my point. That is all absolutely happening. But if you think well, I guess you're saying that this would be a situation where I would think if, if any market would do it, it would be like New York to come up with some headline about how some players struggled because of it. But no player is gonna come out because we see players all the time and say, Oh, oh, you know, that dad's strength really helping me out, blah, blah, blah. No one's coming out and be like, God. My kid just won't shut up and that's why I can't sleep and I can't hit. Like, no one's going to say that. <laughs> I mean, even if it's totally true, it's like the most relatable thing. Here's the I thing was, I want to Yeah, go ahead, Chris. I will say for the first probably two or three weeks after my daughter was born, I couldn't even think about like making dinner or even deciding what to have for dinner. We just had to have people bring us dinner. I th- they say, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. Just bring me something. I can't Sustenance. even think about what to have. I just <laughs> don't so- care. These, uh, these
0: big leaguers are like, oh, I guess we got to face Shan, Shane McClanahan.
1: <laughs> here's here's my favorite thing about this, Jake. So they they, they gave the stat. What was it three for eight? Yeah, over three last night. So his his average since his daughter uh, was born has plummeted from three seventy five to two seventy three. Does so, Francisco
0: <laughs> Lindor hate his newborn daughter?
1: Who knows? That's I mean. That seems to be the only reasonable takeaway. But also respect to the SNY graphics team because they're like, we got to get on this now. There's
0: an over three coming. <laughs> so I, I love that. Um, very, very, very silly. One final Mets related thing to banter about and then we will let everyone leave. Sorry for your mentions. This is a segment that we did on our old podcast quite a bit. I don't know if we've done it too often here, but I saw a tweet with some incredible mentions and we just needed to share it.
1: Yes. Can I just preface? Sorry for your mentions. Normally is reserved for team posting final score graphic amidst the losing streak. I would highly encourage, we could have done this multiple times for at Cardinals. If you want to enjoy yourself, if you want to go take a look at the mentions for all the Cardinals losses over the past few months, those are great. Obviously, the Yankees ones are great. Obviously, the Mets ones are great. And the spirit of this is sorry to the person posting this who has to post it. The people responding are not necessarily responding to you personally, whether you're the admin of a social media for a, for a team or in this case, you're Anthony Decomo. So go ahead, go ahead and read us. Uh, and let's say
0: sorry to Anthony Decomo for his mentions. Anthony Decomo, Mets beat writer for MLB.com, tweeted on June 19th. The Mets will hold their summer blood drive tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at City Field. Donate blood and get two tickets to a 2023 home game and save lives in the process. Parking available in Lot G. Now, the Mets have been one of the most lifeless, bloodless teams all season long, and their fan base knows it, and so the mentions are absolutely phenomenal. Greg responds, positive post. Good to see the Mets do this, but you knew the tone of the comments that would follow. You're right, Greg. Larry says fans have given the team enough money and attention, and now they want our blood. <laughs> Joey, that says, is that one, just crushes me because
1: I think he's serious. Like it reads like an amazing joke, but I think he's he's serious. I just have a couple ones I want to read, but go, keep going.
0: Joe says maybe if we donate our blood, th- they'll pitch better. Like, give them the EPO that Lance Armstrong was taking. (laughs) This is amazing because, Joe, your blood's not better than their blood, brother man.
1: Uh, This one I love from Ethan. Is there a way to save lives and not see the 2023 Mets? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I'll come and donate, but I don't want the tickets.
0: (laughs) Will says, they've taken my soul. I ain't giving them my blood too. Oh my god.
1: So anyway, uh there's the this is all uh so great. Oh my god, this one is <laughs> you see this one from, from uh from Plato? <laughs> Go ahead is a tough one. Go ahead. I know it's a fantastic gift of gift of life, but I'm thinking the Mets have sucked me dry for decades, and I <laughs> they want my
0: blood too. Hashtag <laughs> LGM This one's great from Paul. They should stop forcing this on us and focus on baseball. That's an incredible that one. Is like that. that that's one's a ridiculous. That, that <laughs> the that's other like one's
1: a, like I'd rather you just make jokes about them taking your blood than forcing a blood drive on you, which is not what is happening.
0: Well, <laughs> that's what's funny about it. Like they should they should stop forcing this on us and focus on baseball. Like my dude, why don't you just tweet that during Pride Night? Like that's what that's for, right? Like they're the, the Mets forcing. <laughs> forcing a blood drive on you not, you don't have to go
1: right and then also right you know i'll donate blood just to not go to a game i mean that, all those is is great i also like that there are a lot of people responding about how much parking costs <laughs> because uh Tacoma included that parking is available in lot g but available does not mean free <laughs> so anyway um, this is great. So sorry, Anthony Decoma, one of our favorite beat writers. Sorry for your mentions. Jake finishes off and then we'll end this
0: podcast. Tom W says this. Oh, sorry. Not Tom W. Uh, this is from F- fire ineptler, which I guess, Oh, it's a Billy Epler. <laughs> so fire funny. ineptler. He ineptler says, is a good, that's a nice, nice yeah. uh, nickname there. Team already ripped my heart out. Now they wang my blood too
1: wow in epler is like such a good that's such a i'm so i'm so impressed with that If
0: you're gonna respond to this tweet you gotta spell check it they wang my blood too just come on
1: yeah that's that one is a tough look for our our twitter users all right so sorry tony uh i'm sure i'm sure he is oh we didn't even <laughs> look at the quote i didn't even sorry, look at the more. quote tweets One more. one more, <laughs> one more. a
0: couple more I'm not giving my precious blood for tickets to see this trash team. My precious blood is so good. Jesus, fuck. Haven't they bloodied us enough for the last 40 years? They already crushed my heart. What's next, Anthony? My kidney? My thumbs?
1: It's so good. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Baseball BarberCast. Thank you to Victor Wamanyama for throwing out a first pitch and giving us another 15 minutes of content. Thank you, Chris Tyler, for being a fantastic father and also a fantastic producer. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for joining me on this edition once again of Baseball BarberCast. We'll be back on Friday with more baseball chatter. Uh, Until then, enjoy the week, and we will talk to you very soon. Goodbye.
0: Serious XM Podcasts.